Welcome to episode 23 of Something Inventive, from audiobooks to zero reach. Al and I discuss the benefit of audio in learning, some advice on GDPR, and my interview with Sophia, who entered the Dragon's Den. The sponsor for this episode is Ticked Off, and you can sign up for a free trial at ticked-off.com. This is going to blow people's minds. Oh my god, the intro has changed. <laughs> we're talking, we're in the big time now. We're in the big time. Yeah, we are. We, we've, we're changing up our intro. As long as we don't change the theme music. Can't change the theme music. That will upset mm. people. I was, I, was reading, I was reading about the Fraser theme tune the other day. Just talking about theme tunes. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit no, weird. I it, never really about, watched It's that. about um, um, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. <laughs> it's a really, really <laughs> weird theme tune that, uh, he's, that he sings himself. And I was just reading about how it came to be. And uh, it's just to do it because he's a psychologist and it's to do with like people who are mixed up. Yeah. And they sort of sent this uh, brief out to a sort of, you know, jingle writer or, you know, um, songwriter. And he just came back with this thing and they were like, what is this? And it's perfect. And it's just one of those things. You, as soon as you hear it, you, it's just, it's Frasier. You know what I mean? But it's such a weird song. I, d- I, I never got into watching that. I think it was a little bit before my time. And um, when repeats came on, I never really caught them. I'd probably watch it now if it came, if it was easy enough to watch on Netflix, yeah. uh, just to see what it's like. Similar thing with Seinfeld. The guy oh. wrote the Seinfeld theme tune. They didn't like it because it was really weird. Mm. And uh, and yet again, the audience really liked it, and uh, you, they can't change it because it's just um, it's just Seinfeld. You know, it's like that doing 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 sort of sound on it. <laughs> but how did that come into play? If they didn't like it to begin with, why why would they put that on to start the I series? Think, I think Seinfeld himself really liked it, but none of the producers liked it. Right, and mm. um, if I remember rightly, but again, it just becomes you know the identity for the show, doesn't it? Like you say, like Friends, mm. uh, you know can't hear that song without thinking of friends, but the song existed before friends did. Um, mm. So it's, uh, yeah, like a logo, an audio wonder, logo. Yeah. An audio logo. I wonder if people will think that about our theme tune. It's unlikely. Um, we haven't really discussed the theme tune and where it's come from uh, because I was trawling the internet and found it as a free song that people could use, but not for commercial use. And so you put yourself right near there. Well, I didn't use it straight away. We did. Um, I, I did source who who recorded it, and we we brokered a deal so that we could use it for for you know forever and a day on our podcast and maybe some other material, but it's mainly for this podcast. I didn't know. That. Um, and if people are in, yeah. Well, if if yeah, it, uh, we had to pay some money, not a huge amount, but it's a, it's a good deal. Um, and if anyone wants to know who the publisher or the uh, composer is, they can go to the bottom of every blog post and have a look there. I guess we've started the show. I guess this is it. We should, we should just carry on. Get straight to it. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, um, well, let's start with some follow-up. Um, so last month, you, you could make it. You were busy. You are working on some other, other things. So um, thankfully, Jonathan stepped in, not literally into your shoes. That might be uncomfortable. Mm. But, uh, anyway, thank you very much, Jonathan, for coming in and, and helping us out. Um, but what was interesting, we were talking about Facebook and Zero Reach and how the last time I'd spoken to Jonathan, he predicted in 2017, Facebook would pretty much give you zero reach or zero views from anything you posted on, um, on your Facebook business page. And that's pretty much come to pass, especially with Facebook's recent algorithm, which is what we were talking about. Well, just after that, I saw an article um, floating through Twitter or uh, 
caught it from somewhere, um, about a once flourishing publisher. And I think they were called Little Something. Little Things. Let me see if I can pull up. Little Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put Little Thinks for some reason. But yeah, Little, little Things. Um, and they were basically saying that um, because of Facebook's algorithm change, they've lost 75% of all of their traffic through that, um, which is a real shame. I mean, that is a shame uh, because they would have been relying on that. They would have built that traffic up over a period of time and assumed that it might continue and grow, perhaps, or at least ebb and flow at, at a rate they could control or manage. But it suddenly just dropped off as uh, Facebook were making this change, so which is a real shame. But that, that to me goes back to a lot of what I'm saying to Jonathan at the time is that you can't rely just on one channel mm. um, or one company for your source of leads or traffic. It's just, it's not, it's never advisable to, to look like that. Um, just the same with uh, search engine optimization. You can't just rely on that fact that you have to, you have to really go out and make sure you've got a good diversity of traffic sources, because if one of them disappears or reduces, then you're, you're at least protected a little bit from that. And they, they weren't, they hadn't done that or hadn't had time to build that in. So it's a shame, but it's, it is mitigated if you have different, different sources of traffic coming in. Hmm. Yeah. People do build, I guess, a lot of things around a certain platform and just get used to it because it, it as you say, it can change without your control. You know, it's not something mm. you're, you have control over. So yes, it could be devastating. Yeah. It's always something it's, um, something I do point out to people. You should embrace the fact that a particular channel like Facebook is able to give you traffic, but you need to then try and convert that traffic into customers or or at least into followers. People are going to come back and seek you out wherever you are online and not just finding your articles on Facebook. So um, I've, anyway, I've got an article. If people are interested in reading, it's going to be in the show notes. Uh, it's on Business Insider. Um, and yes, look for little things. Online publisher shuts down and uh, blames Facebook algorithm. So have a look at that. Um, they've been quite effective else? in telling their story, haven't they? As in there's a link to it. You know, they've been quite effective in finding another channel to tell about their, the fact that they've been shut down by Facebook. Yeah. So do you think it's um, the loud whinging and crying to get more attention to build up their traffic again? Do you think it's actually, oh, are, they, are they really suffering from this? What, cynical? Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think people just like bad news, don't they? Yeah. That's quite bad news when something shuts down because of something else, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, a, it's a shame really. I mean, you don't get the, you, you don't often get the good news of, of what's working well, but it's, um, just the blame and the looking for, for someone else to pin the problem on when, when really it is down to them. It's something that you should never rely on that. I, in fact, I was watching a TV series the other day. What's it called? Michaela? Michaela on Netflix. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go to the, the TV series are less relevant. It's quite a dark police procedural drama. Um, but what was quite interesting is there is a negotiation going on about this building with a supplier and the, um, the the buyer. The buyer of the services went to the supplier and said, oh, I notice you're, you're giving um, uh, X company a discount on the services we're buying. And because they know that they're the number one customer for this supplier, they know if they stop buying from them, they can't run anymore. So they're in a huge negotiating um power or weight because they have the majority of um, orders coming through to that supplier, which is a terrible position to be in for, for them. Uh, and even obviously this is a fictitious situation. It meant that they could bend their arm and get them to do whatever they wanted. And in fact, what they, they were asking is saying, rather than 20% discount, we want 30% discount. So they're in a worse off position. And that seems that's terrible for any business really to have any one customer to be their 
uh, to be in that uh, strong enough position that you, you know, if they drop you or want to reduce your prices and they can do that. Mm. I remember when I used to work for another company, we, they used to talk about um, uh, like good customers. So the, the good customers would be people who, um, I worked for a travel company, um, traveled with us, you know, for like 20 years or something. So they were, they were always, um, every year they would book, you know, they would, that, that they would say they were great customers because every year they'd be back. But because they were sort of known and they were good customers, they, they didn't pay on time right. and they would pay really late, sometimes even after the event because we trusted them and because they were good customers. And then actually look at it objectively and you say, well, we've only got so many spaces we can give per mm-hmm. year. And there's lots of other people who want to come on this <laughs> on the holidays, as it were, who are paying, who are willing to pay up front straight away, uh, you know, a year in advance. And so you think, hang on a minute, maybe these aren't such great customers because they they're paying us after. They're slightly, you know, taking the mick a little bit. So again, it's it's about perception, isn't it, as to how, you know, like like this, if you have one giant customer that's giving you all of your, um, you know, the biggest percentage of your income. Is that a great customer? Because like you say, they can then hold you to account, mm. can't they? They can then blackmail you slightly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that one of the big newspaper magnets did that once. He was quite shrewd. And they had their paper mm. supplier. Um, and he was trying to cut them down, like bash them down on price. And again, they this newspaper was like their biggest uh, yeah. client. And so he was trying to negotiate uh, a new price. And rather than... Um, he would just say, well, I'm going to pay you this. <laughs> and of course... The people in the end are like, no, we can't afford that. So that, no, we can't do that. And then he would then come out with a counter offer that was lower. <laughs> and say, right, so uh, you didn't agree with that. So now, now this is the offer, and it's like you know a couple yeah. of pence less per yeah. sheet or whatever, which might, has a massive mm-hmm. implication with the amount of paper that is. And they're like, we can't do it. And then he just, and then he come back with a lower offer, and that's how shrewd and calculating, uh, you know, uh, that particular person was. <laughs> but that's quite something isn't it you don't often see a negotiation that goes the other way like that but that's when the power that you have over yeah, over that company of the, being the, the main terrible player. i mean that that's that mm-hmm. i can that makes sense from a business point of view if you feel you've got that power you can abuse it in that way absolutely um but i think that's wrong just feels wrong um because because I know. I guess it depends on how you see your relationship with the supplier. I know this is going off topic, but it's actually quite relevant to marketing and sales. Um, I think when whatever situation you've got, I think if you have, if you want your your supplier to deliver for you and step up when there is a problem, um, you want to have a good relationship. And in fact, you were just telling me um, just before that um, the one of our customers that we're working with, um, they had a bit of an issue. And so you stepped up and you solved that issue. And it was more important to you to solve that issue, which we weren't going to charge for. We were going to help them out with it before we, we start this podcast. And, and, and that is because they've earned the trust because they're nice to work with because they do pay on time. Um, and that means a lot because if there is a problem, you want to make sure they get served first. But there are going to be customers that we have worked with in the past where they don't treat us with that respect. They don't treat us with the same level. And it's not to do with when they get when you get paid necessarily, although that is part of it. It's how you work with them. Do they treat you exactly how they would like to be treated? And because of that, there have been some customers, which thankfully we've we're not working with anymore, where we've not wanted to really give them any extra energy. We're not going to give them our best. We'll do the we'll do the job, but actually we'd be better off without them. And it's 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 
if you see your supplier as just a commodity, yeah, of course you can you can just swap paper suppliers. You can go to someone else. You can find someone else who's willing to jump at the chance to get have a very low margin sale on something. But really, I think suppliers should be people that you work with. So if you do have an emergency, they will jump to help you. Mm. Funny enough, I had a, a situation with a friend of mine um, who's like freelance, uh, I think graphic design, and um, and like on the day this stuff was going to print. His client uh, contacted him and said, "We need to change the size of everything. Oh. We need to make it, you know." And it's like going to print that day, and, and he's like saying, "I don't think that's a good idea." You know, I think what we've done is fine, and 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 it's going to mess, you know, all the proportions up and all these other aspects. And I think the client was like, "Well, I'm the client, and you do what I tell you to do, so do it." <laughs> and you think, well, "Where's the buy-in from?" You know, the, mm-hmm. the designer in that to say, "Next time, I'm going to go." out on a limb for you i'm gonna do really good things for you i'm gonna notice when something's not right and put it right you're not gonna make any of those efforts if someone's spoken to you like that or treats you like that or that's how they see you in the whole scheme of things because um when you're working with someone you know doing design and coming up with their brand and things you do feel like yeah, it's absolutely. a partnership for a little while i mean sure you're you know it, you're being contracted to and it, it's not your business but you do feel a bit of ownership about it you want it to succeed and for a small business like this um, you know, you're going to have that sort of personal buy-in and think, oh, you know, I've been part of getting that up and running. And then to sort of have that message of like, well, you're worthless, just do what I tell you to do. It's not good and it doesn't, you know, it's not going to want to work with them in the future. And, and I get, like you say, you're not going to go the extra mile for someone like that. I think sometimes you can, you can, you can still say things, um, but you need to, you need to say, I, I understand your reservation on this, but it's really important we need to do this now. Um, can you help me out this one time or can you help, you know, can you see my position on this, even if you disagree, but that, that's, that's a way of uh, having a reasonable adult conversation with whoever you're working with, not just saying, just do it because I pay you. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not mm. going to earn you any favors. I think and uh, people do it when it's a commodity, when it's something they can buy from anyone, but when it is, when it is about something that's specific, where certainly with a designer, copywriter, anything that is creative you're working with that person and you want what's in their brain and you like how they work with you. You like what they output. And it's really important that, that they, you, you have a good relationship with them. Anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. That's great. So, so Facebook, step it up. Come on. You've got to be a nice guy in this <laughs> and they're not so far. Um, you know, I think they've done really well in, they're, they're, you know, they're making some serious money out of advertising. They've, they've done really well in terms of finding and helping people, um, uh, advertise online and, and making good money from that. They're doing really well. So good job on them for that. But I think the way they're doing it or the, 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 the practices in the past haven't been so great. So maybe they're going to change things. Um, okay, well, let's just quickly move on to the sponsor and I want to talk about TikTok. TikTok will help promote your startup or small business online with our simple step-by-step process. It saves you time by providing relevant marketing information when you need it, and it saves money by sharing market testing ideas to promote your business. Every task in the TikTok process is broken into manageable chunks, so you can go from newbie to pro one task at a time. And if you're stuck on anything or need help applying that task to your business, We've got friendly marketing experts available to answer questions to keep you ticking and keep you moving. You can also now share tasks with coworkers, your web developer, or the world on social media if you're unable to complete the task yourself. So that's quite a new addition and it's something that's quite useful to people. If you don't know where to start, who to trust, or too busy running your company to make time for marketing, then TikTok definitely is for you. 
You can sign up for a free seven-day trial at ticked-off.com with just your email and absolutely no credit card. Ticked Off helps you be the boss of your marketing one task at a time. So that's the ad over. But I'd like to say, Al, in developing Ticked Off, you know it's been quite a long process. <laughs> I think we started about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's only more recently that we've been pushing it live and treating it as a as a live product. One of the things that's taken the longest is to allow people to share tasks. And you would have thought it's quite a simple thing. We've all, it's all on the web, so people can copy the URL and put it into another browser or share it with someone over social media, and it's just going to work. Oh, no, <laughs> it's really tricky. Um, and it's purely because of the way it's been made, the way it pulls tasks from a database um, and treats them as if they're yours, but they're not quite until you've actually completed them. And so there's actually lots of different states of a task. And it just takes a lot of time to detect all those states, test all those states, and then have different messages depending on what those states are, um, more so than anything else, actually. Um, the task page is one of the most complicated pages of the whole site because it drives everything. Uh, and there's a lot of logic in there. So you wouldn't believe how long it took to actually go through and test each one of those different states, whether people logged in, whether they're not logged in, whether they're logged in, it's an existing task they've already completed, or it's one that is live and they haven't completed it yet. So it's not in there. It's not assigned to their user. And that was the trickiest one to isolate and and make it work. So it's been something that's on the back burner for quite some time. And I've been wanting to integrate it because not only does it encourage, allow people to share on Twitter or social media, um, but it can, they can share it with their web developer or you know, share it around and get, get help from people. Um, but it just took the longest to do. It was never the, the, the most crucial. Um, so I'm really pleased to get that out. So everyone, uh, if you haven't tried TikTok, go and, go and give it a go and, and let me know what you think. So moving on, I found a great little tool the other day um, which converts blog posts into a podcast. Now, I don't know if you're aware, Al, I like my podcasts. I like a bit of podcasting. I listen to a lot of them. I don't mm. know how many I've got mm. on my um, overcast queue at the moment, but it's quite a few. It's very convenient to me. I won't get bang on about that. But I also like using Pocket. I don't. Do you use Pocket, Al? It's a, an app for. No, right. I use Apple <laughs> Wallet in my pocket. Okay, my keys. So you've got two pockets, and you use about it. Um, pocket is a, is a really nice app yeah. for saving clips from the internet like uh, a blog post that you haven't got time to read now or youtube video or something like that so anything where you think oh i want to read that later you can put it in pocket the problem is do i I then don't have time to go back and read it or i don't make time to go back and read it i should say but i do have a lot of time that i spend listening to podcasts and i've been looking for a tool where i can convert it into audio somehow and I found, I, I was just doing a search and hmm. every now and then I'll, I'll just dive on the internet and say, someone must have made something I can do with a series of scripts or whatever. And I came across this one called Narrow, which is spelt N-A-R-R-O. And it does exactly what I want. It takes anything I put into pocket, converts it into audio, and then puts it into a podcast stream, which I can subscribe to in my podcast player, which is Overcast. And I can listen to it there which means I can use all the speed adjustment tools that Overcast has. And it means that maybe what could be a, an SEO post that I know most of the things in there, but I just want to glean a little nugget that would be useful or get some latest data or information. Actually, it's going to be a pretty boring read for me, or it might be something I put to the bottom of the list, but because it goes into the, into the podcast reader, it's only about five minutes to listen to. I'm in the car anyway. It comes on in between two th- 
two other um, podcast audio feeds. And it's really quick and easy to consume. So um, anyone out there who loves using podcasts, this could be a really good tool for you. And um, I'm going to play a clip now. Um, I've, I've put it in the, the notes for you, Al. You have a listen to it and see what you think. See what you think of the voice. The company examined 10,000 results delivered over the smart speaker. What Beklinko found was consistent with what many others have been saying, but there were also a few surprises. For example, the study discounts the impact of schema to some degree in page authority. That's cool, isn't it? And the voice isn't perfect. I like that. Not bad. And it's good enough to listen to. Um, just to get the gist. And, and then if I find, yes. actually, there is yes, something good enough, worth yes. using in there or quoting or sharing, I've still got it in Pocket, so I can go back to Pocket and share it from there or reread it if I need to. Some, some of uh, the posts that I listen to um, will have images associated with them or graphs or something I need to refer to. So it's going to be useful for that. But what it allows me to do mm. is get over that hurdle of I don't know if it's interesting enough to spend my time on. I don't know if you get that with things, but I go, oh, I can't be bothered. I don't know if it's mm. any good, so I don't want to waste my time on it. But I can I can spend um, a couple of minutes listening to it over a cup of tea and I can determine whether it's going to be useful or not. So it's really, really handy. Um, just mm. an it is free. I think you can convert up to 15 articles a month for free, which isn't bad. I think that's pretty good. Um, and then after that, you pay something like 50 pence per article. Mm. That's very good. That's great. That's really, really nice. Seems like a good deal. I was even thinking about using it to convert our articles, our pure blog articles into audio and then publishing them in the feed that way. But uh, it might sound a bit weird. I think if people want that computery voice, which isn't bad, and they, but they should use uh, narrow to do that. Um, That's really, really cool. Yeah. That reminds me a bit of, um, sorry, Ben, let's just stop. Did you want to say something else about it? Cause I've got something related. Okay. So just out of interest, people who already use pocket, there is a feature where you can get it to read out the article you're looking at. Uh, I'm just going to look at pocket now. See if I can find it. The reason I don't use it that much is because when I'm in listening mode, I'm in the car or I'm out walking. I'm in my podcast player already. So to switch over to Pocket and, and then find the article and then click on the link to listen to it, it's not that it's hard. It's just that I'm not thinking about that at the time. But um, let me find it. So basically, if you go into Pocket, go into an article, click on the dot, 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 and then you've got a listen button, and then it will read it out. Uh, and that work, that works pretty well. I don't think the voice is as good as the narrow one, but it'll do it for free for you, and it's built into Pocket. Um so yeah, really good. So just everyone go and have a look at Narrow. It's a great, uh, great tool. Mm, it reminds me of um, an app I've been using for a little while. Um, I don't do podcasts so much, um, but I know I should be reading more, but I don't have the time. Um, and I found um, uh, a little app called Blinkist. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this, Ben. You heard of it? Um, what does it do? It basically is um, a... It's a, kind of like a book review audio app right. thing. So it's it doesn't it's not uh, got computer voices. It's got real voices um, of people. Uh, essentially, what the process is is the guys at Blinkist will read a book, mm -hmm. uh, make notes about the important parts of all of the book, and then shorten it for Perfect. you to take out things that they don't think add much or uh, that they can cover in a different yeah. section. So it's kind of like a book review um kind of thing so uh and usually they can um shrink books down to like say mm -hmm. 10 minutes 15 wow. minutes 
And of course, you don't get the same sort of thought processes or the in-depth analysis that you would do from the book. But it's I find it useful because I just don't have time to read books. And I've, I just, I'm not a book mm. reader. I just can't concentrate on reading a book. So for me, I, I, <laughs> I tried Blinkist for a little bit for free. I thought it was really good. It's really expensive, but I've, I think I've made use of it. Um, and I just tend to listen to it in the bath. I don't drive, so the so driving is not the best. You paid for it now, so to, to use it, have you? Oh. Yeah, it's £60 wow. a year, which for an app is like, that's a big mm. expenditure. But I, uh, I tried their, they have like one free book a day. Um, and I tried that and I thought, oh, you know, this is interesting. And um, it's in all sorts of things and they're constantly adding new ones and you can listen to as, as many of them as you want. There's no limit once you've paid, paid up. Um, so I just tend to listen to, you know, um, web or business or psychology related um, books. Um, and they're, you know, they're big, big titles. Um, and yes, as I say, you don't get all the detail, but you do get, a good gist of what the book's about. And you think some of them, you think, yeah, that's really good. Perhaps it'd be worth me reading that, and, you know, when I'm retired. <laughs> yeah, so, so if you get, if or, you get a um, feeling that, or, uh, yeah. that you might want to go back and, and uh, read the book fully or listen to the book fully in some cases. Yeah, and other ones you think, these people have just written a book just yeah. to try and write a book and sell it. And there's not much in it that I didn't kind of already know, maybe. But some of the things have little useful information in. So um, I found that quite uh well very interesting and it's it's real people reading it out so it, it's it's got all the right intonations it's not like a computer reading it from a script um so i quite like it and they refer to like each chapter as a blink i don't really like the name and i don't really like the fact they call it a blink but that's that's what they've decided to do so that's fine um so each sort of book will be separated down into like eight or ten blinks right mm. uh so there we are interesting idea i will i'll have a look at that yeah uh certainly try out like the free book you get a free book a day it won't be on anything you particularly want to know because <laughs> they never are. <laughs> um, yeah, if it's of, uh, if you find it interesting, I personally I, I find that really useful because I just can't read. So, well, I can read, mm. but you know, I, I just a reader. So it's it's a way for me to get some knowledge from a book without having to read. Mm. Yeah, I love reading. I just don't want to. There's so many things like that where I'm not sure about spending my time to read it. So it'll be nice to have a review initially where you get the salient points and then you can yeah. dive into it if you want to. It's kind of that, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, that reminds me of a podcast I've just started listening to by Seth Godin. Now, he's got a blog. I think it's called This Is Seth. Um, and he's been doing that blog for years. Uh, he's written a blog a day for a long time. I don't know if he's repeating himself, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess essentially in topics he might be, but he is a prolific blogger. Um, and I've always thought I don't make time enough to read what he's talking about. And he's just started a podcast called Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O. And it's brilliant because I like Seth Godin. He, he the, the books he's written, I've listened to the audio versions and he, he often does the reading of the book on Audible. Um, and his um, voice is not too annoying, like a lot of other American voices that you might find reading some of these books, these business books. So his, um, I like listening, generally listening to him. And his podcast is just like that, but it's short snippets. It tends to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And one of the things that works quite well about his podcast is on the next week's podcast, he will take questions that people have had on the previous week's podcast and answer them. And he answered them very frankly and honestly. It's so good that 
he'll, he'll have a statement almost. He'll put forward an idea. People will critique it or ask questions, and then he'll qualify that in the next in the next week's podcast. It's really good, really flowing, very good idea. And I'm so glad he started it because I'm now back into listening to his ideas again, which are which are very good. Great, some really good high-level concepts. I will put the link in the show notes. Okay, great. So that's, um, yes, yeah, so we talked about Narrow, Blinkist, and Akimbo. So on to GDPR. And actually, when I spoke to you, Al, we were going to talk, we we're going to spend the whole podcast on GDPR, but actually it's a bit boring. We don't want to go there. But I do want to recap because it is um, May the 25th is soon approaching. So it should be something on, uh, it should be on everyone's radar to be working towards. So hopefully you are. What we've done is uh, prepared a page on our website, which you can find if you go to our homepage, ratherinventive.com. And uh, there's a series of gray buttons there. If you choose the GDPR compliance one, then you go to our page and we've got three different steps, really. First one is to listen to a podcast interview, which was with uh, Rebecca from Kidwell's Law and um, Hexad Security Services. So listen to that interview I had with them, and that will give you a, a gist really, from a marketing point of view. Then we've got uh, step two is to go through, we've got some checklist items, which are things like making sure you've got SSL enabled on your website, uh, checking you've got the right policies and privacy in place, uh, and, and other things. So there's a, a, a six-point checklist with four bonus ones. I like the bonus ones. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So six six-point checklist, go through that. And then the next thing I recommend you do is have a look for any um, workshops on GDPR uh, and practical workshops. Workshops that really take you through the details of working towards that uh, regulation, making sure you're compliant. Uh, there's many free ones. If there's any paid ones, I certainly recommend those. Uh, we sent Claire on one of those in uh, uh, for Kidwell's Law in the Hereford-based one, and she came back with a lot of useful information. So, um, yeah, I definitely recommend if, you, if you've forgotten about GDPR since when we last spoke about it last year, get your head back into it. Check out our page. Uh, on ratherinventive.com, look for GDPR compliance and have a look through that. A lot of free information. And if you need our help, you know, there's a contact link there as well. Um, when we were speaking about it, Al, you were having a bit of a rant on GDPR. Is that still relevant or should we skip that? <laughs> I don't know. I always rant about new things. I'm not a real stick in the mud for stuff. I, I don't know. I just, um, well, I got this thing in the post as well this week about right. GDPR um, from the council. And it's like this little... Um, a five sheet of paper that just basically says the general data protection regulations it says with effect from the 25th of may as as you say the new general data protection regulations come into force and it just sort of says that the wiltshire council is the data controller that's fine and it says information provided to the department will initially be used to administer council tax accounts and calculate entitlement to council tax reduction fine and it says personal data held within revenues and benefits may be shared within the council we won't share it with any third parties unless we're permitted to do so by law and there you are. That's it. So that's kind of, well, what, what's that? Mm. You know, they're not, doesn't seem to be like they're changing anything. They're just telling me what they're doing, which to be fair, I would have thought they would be doing already. Yeah. But they should also get your permission. Yeah. So is that it? Is that what the GDPR means for big companies? No, they no. send me a little bit of paper. Well, that's I mean, what it seems to be. There's different ways of getting permission, but they should seek your absolute qualified permission to use the data. It's not just about telling you how they're using it, which is one part of the, the regulation, but they need to get your permission. Now they may have sought that in other way, but um, yeah, well, they definitely got any choice. I have to be evicted otherwise, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> Wiltshire. I'm not allowed to live in Wiltshire unless I do this. Yeah. And that's my point. Like they can't not, you can't not do it. 
you can't not give them your details. You can't not pay council tax, can you? Mm. If you don't like what they're doing with it, if, with your data. So what? Just seems a bit weird. But that, yeah. I think that's that's it. That's going to be like, well, we've done GDPR now. Yeah, we've sent out a letter to everybody telling them about it. Yeah, to most people, they'd be like, oh right. It's done. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm aware, yeah. they need to seek your permission, um, which they might be able to get. Um, it might be implied based on the fact you pay council tax. And they say, look, because you pay council tax, you you ha- in order to do this, you have to give permission. Um, but one thing they also should ask for on there, and you need to, you do need to get this explicitly, is permission to market. You cannot add people to a marketing database unless they have agreed for that to happen. And that is separate to... Um, just working with that data and just, you know, gen- holding that data from a contractual point of view. Um, so, yeah, they should have uh, something where you confirm that you want them to send you emails, text messages or, or other mail information. There's nothing like that here. It's very much like this is what we're doing. You don't like it. Here's more information on the website. Bish, bash, bosh. Yeah, I, I might be wrong, <laughs> but that's that's the gist I get, that you you definitely need permission to market, it, it, even if you're just getting uh, employee permission for using data from a contractual point of view. Interesting. Oh, well, it, do, do share it. Uh, can you scan me a copy? I'll put it in the show notes. It'd be good for everyone to see that. <laughs> yeah. See if hold them to account. That's fine. <laughs> um, and, um, I've seen other places as well. We're just saying to, you know, to keep up with the GDPR, we don't use, we don't share your details and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then that seems to be people's response to it. Yeah, that's, like, well, that's didn't think you were in the first place and you shouldn't be anyway. So yeah. like, wow. Good, good for you. You know, I'm just really cynical about these things. I'm terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do, I do understand. I do, I do um, agree with like the, the foundations of it all and, and the underpinning of people's data. That's fine. I don't want my data to be in some other place on some database where people can get me. Mm. But it, my data seems to find its way there anyway. And, and actually, it's a bit annoying because this week, well, no, not this week, uh, a couple of weeks back, um, I don't know if you, well, you do know this, Ben. Um, I own quite a lot of domain names that I never seem to get around to doing anything with. <laughs> All, I, I'm not a domain name uh, trader. Mm-hmm. I, 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 best of intentions, but I just never get around to doing it. Yeah. And it becomes superseded with a new idea before I've even <laughs> done anything with the old idea. Um, so I had a bit of a sort of, um, what do you call it? Like a, I guess a bit of spring clean on domains <laughs> every now and again. And so I just let some slide. Just think, you know what? That isn't. What you did? Oh, wow. Well anything. done. This is your yeah, first yeah. step well, to happiness. To- I've been doing a little bit every year thinking, yeah, that's not, I can't sell this and I can't be bothered. So um, I let a few go um, uh, and I made the mistake ages ago of assigning my actual details to my um, DNS record mm-hmm. for my domains. And with dot coms, that's like, you may as well just publish your information in the newspaper because since what happened was um, I let it drop and then someone else has bought it. So someone did think it was worth something, the idiots. <laughs> so they bought it. But my details are still on the who is like that's me really and so all of yeah, yeah not oh. that's happened to me more than once actually I actually sold a domain once and even that was two years ago mm. and it's still my details so I get this emails about the renewals on an email on a domain I sold that's to crazy. someone I know it's really annoying um, that's it that's uh, interesting so I've been getting inundated no, normally you get um, we moved a, a client's domain. And they, uh, the domain registrant gets an email, which they need to confirm that domain has been transferred. Otherwise it gets locked Mm -hmm. and it's disabled. And so basically the domain acts, it it acts in a weird way, doesn't it? Basically it looks like the, the DNS isn't responding and it's it's still responding, but they basically deauthorized it. It's very strange. Um, it's a very, very weird error almost. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's purely because the registrant had not, they've received an email, but hadn't pressed the link in it. So we had to go through changes of details yeah. to our email address. That, then that forced the email to be resent and we, we did it and it worked, got up and running straight away. And I'm surprised that didn't happen in this case because then you should have received well, the registrant he, email. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think he uses the domain in that, in this oh, case wow. and this new case with them um, where it's been like drop mm. catch, they call it drop catching mm. where it drops and someone else catches it. Uh, goodness, I don't know, but I'm getting calls from India, from, um, Afghanistan, from London, from Manchester. Do you need web services? I see you've got a new website, blah, 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 blah. Getting loads of emails about it. I'm like, oh, why did I put my actual details again? <laughs> you can't do anything the, about it now. It just makes you want to lie about it, which mm. you shouldn't have to, should you? People use the DNS system as some sort of like mailing yeah. list. And it, that, and what do I do about that GDPR? See, I, that should stop. So... Your avenue to help make that stop is every single email you get is to report that to the ICO. Now, whether they do anything, with they're not going to look into my little piddly emails. They might are not, they? but they, well, they? they might. They might go, okay. So this is a this is a, a bigger company sending information. Um, but the thing is, if they're if they're abroad, I'm not sure what they're able to do with it. So say it's an in, uh, an Indian search optimization company or web development company. I'm not sure mm. what re recourse the ICO are going to have against them. Um, whether that, I mean, they could be quite a legitimate company, uh, and they're just using this um, not so great marketing approach. But they could be quite a legitimate company. <laughs> I'm not sure that what the ICO can actually do about that. But you know, time will tell. We will see. I think in a year's time, if nothing has really changed, then it, it's been a bit of a waste of time and, and a lot of expense and effort for everyone. If um, generally we were able to calm down this amount of rubbish that's going around, then then it's been worth it. Yeah, I mean, I get an email from one particular agency every day, just saying, "Oh, gentle reminder about our services." Mm. It's like I'm not—I don't want to reply back because then they're like, "Oh, he's a real person there." <laughs> but I'm like, ah, some of it, most of it goes into spam, yes, but not mm. all of it. And certainly the calls are particularly annoying, and I'm—I'm I'm kicking myself for putting my mobile number. It was just—it was late at night, and I added it on as my contact details, and I didn't think, and then I um, applied it to lots of domains. I was like, oh, we've, we've, yeah, all, we've all done it. We've there. all done it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yes, we're cutting that. But um, yeah, so that's that's a good bit of pain. It tends to peter out after a while. If anyone's had this, it does tend to peter off after a while when, when your domain's been registered. It, there's a couple of weeks, months where it's, you know, you're like a hot lead, and then if you don't reply back, it just right. does suddenly drop off. But goodness knows what other um, mm -hmm. mailing lists I'm on around the world now. I don't know. So, so would you recommend the Who Is Privacy that uh, is often offered? Yeah, but actually, I just. Don't put in your phone number. For, certainly mm -hmm. don't put in your real phone number. Certainly for a .com. I think .co.uk is not so bad. People don't tend to look at those. But worldwide.com seems to be like worldwide. People are looking at those from anywhere in the world because it's a worldwide domain. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, great. You know, there's got an email, address, real email address, real phone number. Brilliant. This guy's going to be like, oh, he really wants some SEO yeah. and app building stuff. You know. Uh, so as for the, I don't know, because I think it's important if you're looking at a business, I think it's important to know where they are. And I often look at the, being geeky like that i often look at the who is record for a new site i'm dealing mm -hmm. with just to see who they really are and where they're registered to and if it sort of all fits so i think if everyone had privacy i think that's too private but um i don't think that uh i, I don't think i need to see yeah. email addresses i don't think i need to see phone numbers so maybe yeah maybe I, I, they don't tell you exactly where it's going to be put either. So when you add it, when you create a new domain, it doesn't say this information is going to be made public for the entire world. It doesn't tell you that. I don't think 
Yeah, it's interesting the amount of uh, information that is exposed, really, in that. And they do, and they want correct information. They do more want the information to be up to date. It's your it's your responsibility yeah. to keep it accurate. Yeah. By the very fact that they spread it around and it's quite easy to get at by all accounts, it makes me want to just put fake information in, which is kind of ruins yeah. the whole idea I mean, of it. In, in so, terms of mine, I'm quite lucky because I use the um, the main rather inventive number, and that generally bounces people to a voicemail and if people are not interested they don't leave messages so i you know it doesn't doesn't tend to ring through and, and get bothered by a lot of that information because people will just realize it's a voicemail and just ditch the call um they're not going to get anything through to it so um yeah interesting well we'll see well i think we'll put a pin in it and see see what happens next year give it 12 months and see if it actually improves the situation um i think personally for us just as a business going through it I think I see two things that are, that are beneficial in some ways. One is that we're going to carry less data as a business. I think that's quite nice. And actually, I've got an excuse not to collect as much information. Um, so that's quite a nice liberating feeling, a bit like you sort of uh, releasing your domains, not having to deal with so much data and not having the expectation from clients who are no longer paying you to keep their data. I think that's quite nice. It gives, gives us a really good excuse to say, you're not a client any longer. We've finished your project. You've got the files, relevant files that you want. We're not going to hold it any longer for you. Um, so that's really useful. And certainly slimming down mm. on passwords and how, you know, how people sort of send information to us, it's quite nice that we can bat that away and say, no, you've got to send it through these channels. Um, so that's really good. The other thing I can't think of right now, what was it? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the other thing was from a marketing point of view, um, I feel that our email list is going to slim down massively because people won't, um, they won't opt in to our email list. I mean, there are people who've already, we've got like mm. a multiple list. We've got some customer lists and we've got, um, previous lists from other events we ran, um, many years ago and they, people have been on those lists for a time. So they're the people who need to opt in again. I think we'll see a lot of slimming down on that, but that's good in a way because it's going to reduce the cost of our sending. And it's going to hopefully increase the conversion rate because the people who do want it have opted in specifically. So they are interested in the newsletter. We shall see. Again, we'll report back on that. I'll see if I can get some numbers together and we'll see what the difference is between the sending that we've got now and the sending afterwards. Uh, we should move on. Do you think we're going to see the same thing? Oh, uh, no, I was just going to say okay, we should on. move yeah, on yeah, because move on. We're, move on. we're going to do a short show and it's moving on to not being one. Um, oh, okay. We'll just, yeah, let's let's yeah. let's leave GDPR. Maybe we can talk about it again once it's happened and see see what actually occurs. It'd be quite interesting. So, yeah, go to our website, ratherinventive.com, and look for GDPR compliance, and we've got lots of information on there. If there isn't anything on there that's um, or there's missing, you've got other questions, just click on the Hire Us button and talk to us via Twitter or, or the hello email, and we'll see if we can help you out. Um, to, so just quickly, there's a couple of things I want to pull up here. I recently had an interview with Sophia from Tickle Tots. So I went to see Tickle Tots for a faster business review, and they make reusable cloth nappies. And Sophia's got a great business. She's been running it as a sideline, really, um, and wants to make, well, has been trying to make a, a good go of it. And I think the what's interesting about her is they're not the the product has been born out of frustration with other products on the market. They've never been good enough. They've always been um, either poorly designed in her in her opinion or not brightly colored enough. And so she's tried to combine and build the best product for not only her, her children but for what she wants them to be seen. You know, so they so they're wearing nappies that look kind of cool as well. 
And so that's, uh, I talked to her about that. I talked about how she got started in it. Um, and also she was featured on Dragon's Den. So how she got to that point, what it was like to, to go on. And she actually got, she was successful in being picked, although it didn't quite pan out in the end. But I know you're, um, uh, you like that sort of thing, Dragon's Den and The Apprentice. So um, it might be worth a, a listen for you. Um, and I yeah, haven't watched yeah. Dragon's Den for a while. So I actually watched Sophia on there and she came across really, really well. So, um, Al, I've actually got an extract from the interview in here. Tell me what it was like, that process on the day of coming in and then finally meeting the dragons. Um, I think I was actually in there nearly an hour. So it's edited quite heavily. And, mm -hmm. and that was one thing I was really worried about because I wondered how they'd edit it. Because obviously it's a TV programme and they want it to be appealing to, you know, the viewers. So I was a bit worried about how that would happen. And it was interesting how they edited it. There was lots of bits they sort of cut and, and swapped. But, it, you know, it came across well, which was, was the main thing. But um, it is really daunting. I mean, you get there. We arrived at sort of 20 past six in the morning. You're sort of huddled, like sort of herded into this big warehouse, which is back backstage, basically, with everyone's got a table and all your stocks delivered there. And they're like, right, set up your tables of how you want it displayed in the den. So you do that. Then the producers come round and literally just you start. They stand there and suddenly ask you, right, say the first line of your pitch, say the third line. Now tell me this bit and then do the last bit because they're sort of assessing how you come across and stuff. Yeah, it That's was cool. it was really nice bit, um, to hear the behind the scenes, and um, especially after I'd watched it. And it's it's no surprising really that it it takes longer to film than it does to edit, and they switch things around. They they make more drama out of it. So we're still editing and that should go up before this podcast episode is released. So we should be able to link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah. So I just want to say well done, Sophia. It's brilliant. Um, good interview. Well done for getting on Dragon's Den. And uh, yeah, she actually got uh, quite a few orders out of it. So you can find out what the aftermath was and whether it's worth all that effort to get on that program. So moving on, I've got a podvert from Donal. Thank you, at Donalize. And he says, need cutting edge front end digital design collateral? Question mark. Try donalize.com. So thank you very much for that, Donal. I uh, encourage everyone to head over to donalize.com, have a look at the website. And if you need anything like uh, online films, animation, corporate videos, anything like that, Donal can, can do that. Donal's actually the editor of this um, audio program as well. So if you're happy with what he puts together on this, I suggest you go and have a look. So thanks, Donal. So just two blog articles I want to br bring up here. Um, one written by Lou, and it's called Educate to Compete. Um, and what I like about this article is that it's talking about how that a lot of the best marketers online want to educate their customers. Because in educating people, you can build trust. Because you are giving away small bits of information that show people that you know what you're talking about, that you can help them. It also highlights the problems that may, they may have. That builds trust over time. It's also really useful for something for people to share. If you've just got a plain website talking about your product or service, there's not really anything on there that's useful unless people really love your product, in which case they might share it with people. But more often than not, what people really love is helpful information. And if you've helped them solve a problem or you've given them some insightful advice, they're more likely to share that on social media. So actually educating and sharing useful information is a really good way of not only building trust, but allowing people to share information. 
Unfortunately, I come across so many people who don't want to give information away. They really fear doing that because either they're going to give information to their competitors or they're giving away what they feel like is money. You know, that information should only come if people pay for it. What's your view on that, Al? Um, I think you should um, be uh, yeah, generous with your knowledge. But yes, you need to keep some things to yourself, I think. If, if you spent mm. your whole life learning something and then you just tell people it, you're not really doing yourself any favours <laughs> by, by just <laughs> giving it away. But I think you can certainly give some of it away. Um, and just help uh, and you know give people a if they've like I do it with my neighbors here you know they get stuck with computers and their websites and things and I just go and sort of help uh, and just say well I, mm. I think it's this um, but I don't tend to go too far like I don't fix problems that I see that they haven't had yet do you know what I mean so yeah. I'll just fix a problem yeah. that they have right now and I'll, I'll look at it and think mm, maybe they need a site redesign or something like this but I won't sort of go on mm. about that but I'll just help them with the problem I see in, in front of me um, for, you know, just for free usually. And I think that's appreciated. And then people start to sort of say, Oh, he's quite handy for, <laughs> uh, for, you know, website help and things. Um, yeah. Well, you, you, you wait until they bring out the nice biscuits and then you might give them a little bit more help. Well, yeah. And of course it works both ways because then, um, you know, you can call upon them for their expertise for things. I'm quite. Uh, I've gone off a bit of a tangent here, but it, I'm quite sort of big on that old sort of trade trading of knowledge bartering, and information bartering. Yes, mm. um, yeah, and only on a small scale. You know, um, it, it invariably ends up me trying to help them with fixing their email, which is just makes which is different. <laughs> I'm not Stay away from know, that. I'm not like email. Ah, no. There we yeah. Are. As as part of what we do, we do hosting and we manage email um for people and it's the it's the area i i hate <laughs> i i don't mind everything else here there's some areas which are fine it's just part of the course of what we do um but email is the one area where sometimes if it's not working it's like that's well, not what i can do you know the, ser- the server is having some problems and because the email is not direct it's not um something where um a socket is opened and immediately that data is pushed out and goes straight into your server there are lots of things that can happen in between it's like i don't know you've got to wait and see what happens and usually things fix themselves because it comes down to that some a lot of people just find it awkward, difficult, or actually don't have the time to do it themselves. If they're out to market looking for someone to help them with a problem, they're most likely to look for someone who knows what they're talking about. And how do you demonstrate that? By sharing it. Mm. I think if you, also, you hide away that information, it's much more difficult for them to tell. Also, people sell products. And so if you've just spent some time with someone and they just kind of like you and they get on with you, and you, they feel they can talk to you without you making making them feel small, which a lot of mm. IT people can do. Uh, that's already a massive, massive hurdle overcome. Uh, it's, it's difficult to cold call someone up. You know, let's say you're looking for a, a plumber. You know, you're going to just flick through the, a book or go online and just phone a plumber. You're going to, if you know of one or you know of someone who's friends with one, and they say, "Oh, you know, he's, he's a really nice guy. He'll, you know, he's really flexible and stuff," you'd be like, "Well." That's better. That's 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 better than calling someone out of the blue, isn't it? At least mm. I've got something about this guy, you know, a uh, recommendation. So if you have spent a bit of time with someone helping them for free, I think yeah, you're going to be on the list if, as long as you got on with them and you help them with a problem. Of course, you're going to be, you know, on the front of their mind when they've got a bigger problem that, you know, might need, you know, a, a bigger solution. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So I, I advocate that. Uh, so if you want to find that article, go to our website, ratherinventive.com, and look for one of the latest blogs, Educate to Compete. Uh, and finally, just very quickly, Claire wrote a blog called Eleven a Reef, 
You can find out what that means if you read through it. It'll make sense. Uh, let your testimonials sweep your customers away. One thing I really liked out of this, and she talks about the effectiveness of testimonials. But one thing that it reminded me of is it's a really good way to reconnect with your customers. So often we might do some work for someone, maybe a build a website or do a project. And then they go on their way. They, they don't need it managed. They don't need it looked after. So they go on their way. Um, it's quite nice to go back to that customer to get some feedback, potentially ask for a testimonial, because you are reconnecting with them. It could be a month or two months later. In doing so, not only do you get another chance to speak to them, maybe they've got some additions they want to add to their website, but also it reminds them of you as a company and that they may well recommend you if you're getting them to think about recommendations and testimonials. So it's a really good way to reconnect with them and get them to positively think about your business. And in turn, they may recommend you again to, uh, to other people. So I recommend you read that. That's called 11 Arif, and you can get that on our website too. I think we're finished. I think we've done. We're, we're certainly coming to a yeah. shorter show, but we'll, we're at risk of running over if we, if we don't stop now. So I think we should uh, put a pin in it there. Um, good to have you back, Al. Um, and we'll catch you next month. Excellent, yes. So just to finish off, um, if you'd like to, I, I've not asked before, but if you like the show, please do give us a rating in iTunes because this helps us get found by other people. People, when they're looking for podcasts, look for highly recommended podcasts. So if you do like this one and you want to give us some a five-star review, say some nice words on there, we'll appreciate that. And if you, if you do so, we'll also read out your comment on our podcast. You can do this from the podcast player on um, Apple Podcasts, or you can go directly to iTunes. If you've got a Mac, load that up, find our podcast on there, something inventive, and you can rate us from there. So Go and do that now if you've got five minutes. That would be really appreciated. You can find the show notes for this episode on our website. If you go to ratherinventive.com slash podcast, look for the latest one on there. Uh, this is episode 23. You can find Al and I on Twitter. I'm at Ben Kinnaird and Al is at Inventive Al. The sponsor this month was ticked off. Um, so if you haven't signed up, do go and have a look at that. We've got this new share feature so you can share links and tasks with uh, other people you're working with, like your web developer, if you get a bit stuck on something. And we've got the Ask an Experts feature as well. So if you're not sure how to apply a task to your business, you can just ask the question right in there and we'll get back to you with answers on how that's going to work for you. And finally, if you want to be part of this show, you can send your business, marketing or creativity questions to um, hello at ratherinventive.com or you can tweet us at ratherinventive on Twitter. Or if you're smart like Donal, you can tweet your product or service that you'd like to promote just by mentioning at Rather Inventive and the hashtag Podvert, and we'll read it out over the coming episodes. And in fact, if you go onto Twitter and just search hashtag Podvert, you'll see most of the ones on there, the ones where most of the results on there are for previous Podverts, and you can see what other people have written. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Al. Goodbye.